Our scripture reading today is from Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 through 9. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has a wise man over the fool? And what does a poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, the reality, the truth that you are um, our living hope. God, that uh, you've given us uh, so many um, temporal pleasures, so many um, just immense uh, gifts to, uh, to enjoy, um, Lord. But I pray that um, even uh, through the text this morning that we'd be reminded of our living hope, that we'd be reminded that, um, uh, that we can only find ultimate satisfaction and contentment in you, um, our good Father who gives good gifts. So God, please, um, would you enlighten us with your word this morning? Would you reveal more of your character? Would you spur us on, God, uh, to, um, to just follow you with reckless abandon? We love you. We thank you that you love us more. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Good morning. Hey, before we, uh, before we move forward, I want to recognize um, a family that's with us today. That um, uh, Would you guys stand up? This is uh, Eric and Cindy Black and a couple of their kiddos. And um, as many of you know, the, uh, the Blacks were with us for a little bit over a year um, after they had served for, I think, a decade in, in uh, Nigeria. And they were with us when they were on furlough, and they went back, and we sent them back out over the last nine months or so. And uh, they're back in the States for good. Um, they've just taken a pastorate in uh, Friend, Nebraska, which is about an hour outside of, of Lincoln, I think. Is that right? Not too far from Wilbur. Have you heard of Wilbur? I, I heard of it this morning. Okay, it's the Czech capital of the world uh, in Nebraska. But we're just so grateful to have you guys with us. And um, if you all would just, um, just give the blacks a WCC welcome. It's good to, good to have you guys back. So we are um, uh, 
really, today is really part two of what we started last week. Last week, the title of the sermon was The Pursuit of More. And today, I've titled the sermon The Paradox of How to Be Satisfied and Happy. In today's passage, the author of Ecclesiastes will continue his instruction on the vanity of pursuing more at the expense or at the cost of enjoying today. Last Sunday, we unpacked chapter 5, verses 8 through 20, where we were warned of what the, what the author called a, the grievous evil or the tragedy of accumulating wealth and possessions to fund a future comfortable lifestyle, We talked about what that might be for us. It could be um, college um, degrees. It could be retirement. It could be leaving an inheritance. But we, we saw a warning of accumulating wealth and possessions to fund a future um, comfortable lifestyle at the expense of being generous and finding enjoyment today. It's not that, that saving up for the future is bad. What he pointed to is that when we become discontent with today, And don't enjoy today because we are so focused on tomorrow, it's a grievous evil. The preacher last week instructed us that this type of living for tomorrow can lead to several things. It can lead to risky investments. Um, Some of you have been there. That that when we are so striving for a a perceived future, we can um, actually make unwise choices um, with with our money and our investments. It can lead to sleepless nights. When we're so concerned about the future, um, it can keep us up at night worrying about how am I ever going to get there. And last, it can lead to frustration. Um, If you've ever had your plans um, um, not work out, um, particularly plans for a a particular future, um, you know what I'm talking about. It can be frustrating. And at the same time, we were encouraged towards the following, to be generous, to be generous today, not, not, be, um, uh, not just to build up our kingdom today that so, that so that one day we can be generous, but to be generous today. We were encouraged to not worry about tomorrow, and we were encouraged to be happy in what God has given us today. And today we're going to see clearly what we need for a good and happy life. Here's how Martin Luther described today's passage. He says it's a description of a rich man who lacks nothing for a good and happy life, yet he does not have one. The other night, Friday, much to my surprise, we had our three youngest grandkids over, um, two for an overnight. Um, If you talk to my wife and she's got bags under her eyes is because she didn't sleep. We raise our grandkids the same way we raise our kids, is that she, they would cry, she'd go in with them, I'd shut the door and go under the covers. (laughs) But it it was incredible watching them. They both would have a glass of milk in different sippy cups, the same amount of milk, the same type of milk, but they would want each other's sippy cups. It didn't matter what one had, the other wanted. They are so cute, the two youngest ones, Oliver and Marion, they're so cute, but at the same time, they are so sinful. I was reminded through them and through this passage of my own discontent, actually, that oftentimes, if not daily, I want what I don't have. I'm discontent with something. 
something out there. I, um, some of you know my, my car story, and it, it, it got even bigger, and it's such a small thing, but I was looking for a car next week. I needed a new car. I needed a, 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 a new car for me. And, um, and I knew that Nancy and I knew that we wanted a four-wheel drive, because her van is two-wheel drive. And we knew we wanted something with lower mileage, because her van has high miles on it. We wanted to take the pressure off that van. And so I found a car in Greeley. You know the, the puppy dog sale? Have you ever heard of that? Like you, you go to a, the, a puppy dog sale is like this. Those of you in sales, you know what it's like. Is that, that um, you go and look for puppies, and the, and the, uh, the, the, the guy or the gal that owns uh, the, the puppies says, hey, just take them home and just, just see how you like them. <laughs> Do you ever bring a puppy back? You never be, so I had this car that I found in Greeley that, that um, fit everything we wanted. It was, it was clean. Um, it hardly had a ding on it. Um, it smelled new rather than smelled like um, hamburger wrappers like my old car did. And, um, and it was four-wheel drive, so I drove it home. And I drove it to church last Sunday, actually. I hadn't bought it yet. And then um, somebody in their kindness on, uh, on Sunday uh, told me in Nancy that they had a car that they don't use, that they wanted to give to us for free. And um, it was a great car. But it wasn't like the car that I drove home from Greeley. <laughs> so I'm wrestling. You ever been there? Like, I'm wrestling. Like, is this okay? Like, God, are you, like, are you giving me this gift of a car um, because you don't want me to have this other car? <laughs> and so we worked through it. We prayed. And we took the car in Greeley. We paid for it. We paid 7800 bucks for a car that we could have had another car for free. So the question becomes, um, like, how do you know when it's okay to, um, to go after something that you don't currently possess? I've, I've, got a, I've got a few questions right up front that I want you to consider as we're going through this sermon. Number one, are you content with what is, with what is right in front of your eyes? Are you content with what you have? Number two, what do you feel like you need to have a happy and good life? Those two can kind of go together. Maybe you think that what you don't have, if you had it, you would have a good and happy life. Are you satisfied and content and content with your lot in life? Let me give you some categories. Your marriage, your singleness, your body type, your retirement balance your children, your job. And then finally, how do you know if your desires for what you don't have currently line up with what God desires for you? It's a good question, isn't it? How do we know? King Solomon is most likely the author of the book of Ecclesiastes, this book of delight and truth. And he most likely penned this book at the end of his life that was an up and down life. At the beginning of his reign, God gifted him with much wealth and possessions and honor, yet Solomon never really seemed to enjoy what he had. He was discontent as I look at his story. I don't think that's an overstatement. He was discontent because he wanted what he didn't already possess. In fact, in many times he wanted what God forbid him to have. 
He spent almost twice as much time and probably twice as much money in building his residence, the palace that he lived in, than he did the temple. He spent 13 years building his palace. He spent seven years building the temple. He started off well, but then the trajectory of his life was that of a man who prioritized his comforts and his kingdom rather than the Lord's kingdom. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 6 through 14. And this is uh, Solomon praying to the Lord at the beginning of his, uh, his kingship. And Solomon said, Lord, you have shown me great and steadfast love. You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept him from this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. Speaking of himself, Solomon. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude." Give your servant, Solomon says about himself, therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to govern this your great people. Verse 10. This pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Then we know at the end of Solomon's life, probably right before he wrote this book, that he directly disobeyed the Lord. That he was no longer satisfied um, in the Lord or what the Lord gave him. We see that in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 4. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. From the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And it says Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David's father. The Lord promised Solomon wealth, possessions, honor, and power. Yet Solomon was never able to actually enjoy or be content in these good gifts because he was perpetually dissatisfied with what he had. He had an insatiable appetite for what he didn't already possess. In Ecclesiastes 2, 9 through 11, Solomon said this, all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. 
When Solomon tasted all that he desired, he couldn't get enough. So in first in first Kings eleven six, it says Solomon did all he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Remember Solomon's life as we're going through these passages. Let's look at verses one through two in Ecclesiastes chapter six. There's an evil, a tragedy, literally that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them. But a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It's a grievous evil. It's a tragedy. This is a paradox. A man that has everything and lacks nothing he desires, yet God does not allow him to enjoy these gifts. This is a textbook definition of discontentment. You you get what you desire. You get the spouse you desired, the children you desire, the, the job you desire, the vacations that you desire, and you're never fully satisfied, nor, you, or, nor do you enjoy what God has provided. God wants us to enjoy everything he's provided. Last week in Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20, he said this, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun in the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. This is God's best for us on this earth is to enjoy it. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them. Not just our work, but every, all the, the fruits of our labor, all the gifts that God gives us. And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is a gift from God. God wants us to be satisfied and find enjoyment in our toil and in everything he has providentially given us. So here's the question. What does it mean that God gives these gifts... We know that everything comes down from the Father of lights. Every every gift comes down from God. What does it mean that God gives these gifts and then he doesn't give the power to enjoy them? That sounds like a con. That sounds like an evil God. Let me me explain what um, what I understand this to mean. God always calls us towards satisfaction, contentment, and, and, and enjoyment. But it seems as though the preacher is speaking about man's limited amount of days. I think the best way to understand him not giving us the power to enjoy is death, actually. At the time of death, we will no longer be able to enjoy everything he has given us. Enjoyment of what God has given is a choice. He's not going to make you enjoy it. And that chance to choose enjoyment ends when we die. God has power over life and death. All of our days are numbered. That's what it means when God doesn't give us the power to enjoy. That one day, I mean, you can work for tomorrow being dissatisfied and not enjoying today, and one day it's going to be too late. That God's not going to give you the power anymore to enjoy that. Remember the movie? I talked about this early on in this in the. Uh, um, sermon series about Schmidt, the Jack Nicholson movie. It's a great, it's a great movie, man. Just if you want to just know more about the heart of Ecclesiastes and the heart of man, where Schmidt is a is a classic um, baby boomer that worked all of his life for um, one company um, to one day wait for that clock to tick uh, five o'clock on a Friday retirement day, and then he. 
He went out of his office, shut the door, went home, walked by his RV that he was going to spend um, his retirement years in. Went back to the office the next week just to see if they missed him. They didn't. Came back home, and the wife of his youth was dead on the floor. And, the, and what, was, what went through this entire movie was the obvious premise that he did not enjoy anything along the way. He didn't enjoy the journey. He was hoping that one day he would be able to enjoy life, and he never got to do that. That's what it means that when God no longer gives us the power to enjoy In the time of Ecclesiastes, living a long life and having many children were among the highest of all earthly blessings. Look at verses, verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. This is a picture of a man who is blessed with a long life in many children, yet his soul is not satisfied today with life's good things. He's not content with the good things God has given him. His wealth, his possessions, his honor, his children, and probably his health he's not even satisfied with since he lived a long life. Not only is he not satisfied or content today, but when he dies, he will have no burial or literally no proper burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Not having a burial, not having a proper burial, probably meant he had no meaningful or close relationships at the end of his life. Think about that. He had everything he wanted. And at the end of his life, with all the honor and the wealth and the possessions and the kids, no one comes to the funeral. He doesn't have a proper burial. To die without mourners was considered the worst, was considered worse than being born dead. Even if one had many children in a fall a full life. Here's one of the conclusions I came up to when I was looking at this. When, when, when we're not satisfied with the good things we have, we will tend to do one of two things with people. We'll, we'll either ignore and devalue and devalue them because they can't help us get what we want, or we'll use them. See, when we're so focused on, on, on the future at the expense of today, we see people as expendable, really. We see them as, as being in our way of accomplishing our goals. I've seen this with families where um, I can't relate with it, where they can't wait till their kids are out of the home. They can't wait. Because it's standing in the way of them accomplishing their goals, their financial goals. There's a few kids in here I'd say that about. No, there isn't. There's none of you, actually. And I remember from business, I remember so clearly from business that, that um, in my flesh, particularly my unregenerated flesh, but even in my um, flesh after being um, regenerated, I could at times see people as a means towards a better future. I, I think I talked about this last week. I could see clients, I was an investment guy, I could see people... Um, as a, a bank account, as a 401k, as um, somebody that can help me um, attain my goals. 
He says, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it, verse 4, a stillborn child comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness his name is covered. Moreover, it, the child, the, un, the stillborn child, has not seen the sun or has known, known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. This is a disturbing illustration. But he gives it to us graphically to make a point. It compares the discontent person with a stillborn baby who never saw the light of day and never had a chance to know anything or anyone. And he says that the stillborn baby is better off than the person who's not satisfied with life's good things today. A stillborn baby never even saw the sun. But the baby has more rest than the person who's not satisfied with the good things they have. I don't know if you can feel that, but this this striving, the worrying, the discontentment, the sleepless nights, doing everything we can to protect the, the future that we have pictured in our head. Verse six, even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to one place. Even if he lives many, many years, yet he does not enjoy what he's been given, literally what he's saying is, what's the use? Why be born at all? God, God didn't give us life. And in fact, and, and, and he didn't just give us um, um, uh, life on earth and then more importantly, life in him to live a joyless, um, um, dissatisfied life. He came to give us life and life abundantly. All die. What's the use of living a joyless life? All die. We can't take anything with us. Why waste the time, the energy, and the stress to desire and work towards what we don't have while giving up enjoyment and satisfaction today? No one gets out of this life alive, so we might as well enjoy God's provision and kindness while we have a chance. Verse 7, all the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. He works for himself, satisfied in his own appetite for what he doesn't already possess. The more we desire and consume, the more we want. And the author uses a food metaphor because we can relate with it. The other day, um, I was meeting with a friend of mine in Greeley, and I got to the restaurant early. And, um, and I, I usually don't go to Mexican food restaurants because um, I've got a thing about corn chips. I'm like, it's like a Labrador has a thing with food. If I'll just eat whatever, whatever's fully in front of me. So I got to the restaurant 30-ish minutes early, and I decided to read while I was waiting for him to arrive on time. And, um, and I ordered some chips. I ordered some chips. I never eat chips, but they looked good. They tasted good. I wanted more. And you know what? About 40 minutes later, you know how I felt? I felt like throwing up. I, I felt like throwing up. I almost reported them to the Greeley Food Department or whatever that is, the F, FDA. This is how sin and selfishness work. The grass on the other side looks green and lush, and once we hop the fence and we start eating it, it actually even tastes good in the moment. Those chips taste really good when they were going down. But after the thrill is gone, as the song says, we get sick. 
Because when we, because of desiring and seeking after that which we mistakenly thought would make us happy. And here's the crazy thing. The more we strive for what we don't have that we think we need to satisfy us, the more we want. When we are overeating or when we look at porn or when we long for our lives to change, we are ultimately seeking satisfaction in changed circumstances rather than in the one who gives good gifts and brings ultimate satisfaction. God gives you good gifts. Um, You have good gifts today, and he gives it to us to enjoy and to be satisfied in. But ultimate satisfaction, you know this, is found only in him. The path to happiness and satisfaction is a paradox. It's a paradox because what the world, the world tells us exactly what Frontier Airlines told me last week. Just fill out this credit card application. You deserve it, and you'll be happier. This path to happiness is not uh, paved by future satisfaction and enjoyment. The path is paved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and being satisfied in the Lord today and everything that he's provided for you and I. The good, our salvation, the good God's indwelling spirit, the good God's word, the good, the body of Christ. And even in what we consider to be bad, a hard marriage, our singleness, difficult children, jobs we don't like. Verse 8 speaks to contentment. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who, does, who, who knows how to conduct himself before the living? What he's saying, whether foolish or wise, whether rich or poor, choose contentment with what's in front of you today. Verse 9, better is the sight of the eyes, better what you see in front of you, better is what you have than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. What's better than rich or poor or wisdom or foolishness is being satisfied with what we have in front of us. The good things that are mentioned back in verse 3. This kind of striving, longing, long, longing, and wandering for something better is vain. It's like chasing after the wind. You end up sick. Back to Oliver and Marion, my grandkids. We have this, this um, heavy, heavy bowl that you've got to, it's like lifting a kettlebell just to get the, get the lid off of it. But these two grandkids have found that, and they know what's inside of it. And it's jelly beans. And the other night, we sat them both in their high chairs, and we gave them uh, meatballs and green beans. You know where this is headed. But one of the kids, not to not mention in which one, had a wandering appetite for what was in that container. And he would not eat what was in front of him because one grandfather might have given him a couple jelly beans before <laughs> he had the meatballs in the green beans. This is the way it works. That when we, when we are not satisfied, content, and take it a step further and actually enjoy everything that God has given us, we're going to long for what it is that we think is going to make us satisfied. 
And oftentimes what those things are, it's things that we've already tasted in the past. That we, that we mistakenly think that will, is, the, is the solution, like the jelly beans, to making us content. There's nothing new here. In the garden, Adam and Eve could have eaten from any tree. The entire garden except one. Which one did they want? The one they couldn't have. They were deceived into thinking that there was something better for them and they needed to go after it regardless of what God wanted them to do. Think about the Israelites. They were slaves. They were in abject poverty. They were, they were working um, 16 hours a day. It's worse than the oil business. And, they, um, and, and Moses um, um, broke them out, went through the wilderness, headed for the promised land, and all they wanted was back into Egypt where they could have meat, where they could have fish. They were discontent with the manna that the Lord was giving them. When Jesus, on the other hand, was led to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, no food, no water, scorching sun, no fellowship, no relationships, 40 days in the desert, he was tempted in the same ways that we're tempted to be discontent and to want what we aren't supposed to have. And Jesus' final scripture informed to Satan was this, go away Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. And when we want what God doesn't want for us, what we don't know what God wants for us, we're actually not worshiping him, we're worshiping whatever it is that we are longing for. So let me circle, go full circle. Are you content and joyful with, right, with what's right before your eyes? Are you content and joyful with what is right before your eyes? What do you think you need? What's missing for a happy life? A child to behave differently? A husband to love you unconditionally? wife to respect you, finally need a college degree, I need a husband or a wife, I need to be cured of sickness. If you just bring back my loved one who died, I'll finally have joy and satisfaction. Are you satisfied and content with your lot in life? Your marriage, your singleness, your body type, your retirement balance, your children, your job? Or do you have a wandering appetite? Are you deceived in thinking that if I could just have this, I could finally be content and enjoy life? We become discontent when our greeds become greater than our needs. That's when we become discontent. I stole that from somewhere. I can't tell you where, otherwise I would give them credit. Enjoyment and contentment today is found in harvesting life's riches and battling its plagues. 
It's not just, it's not just um, meandering through life and, and, and constantly looking over, the other, looking over the fence and having wandering appetites. It's found in harvesting life's riches, enjoying what God has given you, particularly in the person of Jesus Christ and all the other grace upon grace that he's piled on and then battling the temptation. Battling the temptation. Psalm 37, 4 through 5 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So how do you know if your desires for what you don't currently possess line up with what God desires for you? How do I know if I'm supposed to get that car? <laughs> how do I know if I'm supposed to change jobs? I mean, it's, it's not, he's not going to write it on a mirror, but, but, there, but he, this is a principle that will help. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So there's a great promise here that he will give you the desire of your heart. And we also have a command, delight yourself in the Lord. The command is the condition of the promise. Delight yourself in me, he says, and I will satisfy your heart. So should you, should you pursue joy or should you pursue obedience? John Piper answers it this way. He says, that is like saying, should you pursue apples or should you pursue fruit? Because if you obey the command, delight yourself in the Lord, you're pursuing joy. And so obedience and joy can't be contrasted like that. You see where true joy and contentment and satisfaction is found? Is being satisfied in him. You know the, the quote, Piper's quote? hate to overdo the Piper thing, but he, he nails his whole concept. That we're most satisfied, or God is most glorified in us when we're most, what? Satisfied in him. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we need to starve our appetites for what we think will make us happy and satisfied and feed ourselves food that builds in contentment. You see, Solomon didn't starve his appetite. He just nibbled away on not what was before his eyes, but what was on forbidden, what was forbidden to him. He lost his appetite for obeying the Lord. And finally, I'll just leave this. Um, so how do you desire if your desires for what you don't currently possess line up with, with what God desires for you? Well, the first answer is found in Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. But here's a couple of other helpful hints. Are your goals, are your desires biblical and are they rooted in delighting in him? And do they lead you towards the greatest commandment to, lo to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And do they lead you to the second, to love your neighbor as yourself? I feel like I should have more. I feel like I could just go on and on. But we're going to just stop and pray. Father, just uh, grateful for your word. 
I'm grateful, God, that, um, that, um, that your children, uh, those uh, whom you have called to yourself, as the scripture says, uh, that we already possess everything we need for life and godliness. Everything we need for life and godliness. That you've given us everything today that you have met our daily need. And Lord, I thank you that it's not necessarily um, sin to want what is not before our eyes. But God, I thank you for the clear um, encouragement and admonition that it is sin to think that we can find some type of ultimate satisfaction and contentment and enjoyment in wandering appetites and looking for things that are not in front of us to find that. So God, would you um, help us um, as a body of Christ um, be um, genuinely satisfied and joyful um, with um, our lot, particularly um, our lot as your children in whom you love and give good gifts. But God, beyond that, and as a result of that, would you help us be joyful and contentment in our lot uh, that maybe um, we would rather uh, be out of? Our job, our marriage, our singleness, our ill health, God, help us uh, find enjoyment and satisfaction um, in all things so that you might receive all the glory and the praise and the honor. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.